my screen what I clicked. There we go. Yo. Dan, it's really good to see you again, by the way. Oh, uh, yeah, it's very nice to see you again. I, I do enjoy our conversations. <laughs> and we had uh, uh, before talked about the cow herd, and mm -hmm. we had also talked a bit about Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's early history. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I sent you some uh, information about that. Did you actually read any of that? I did read some of it, yes. And found it all very, very interesting. Uh, I'm the sort of person who enjoys, like, for movie franchises and books, like, the lore behind it all. So, reading about history and all that sort of stuff, it is uh, interesting to me. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, that, the, the part that was so much interesting to me is to see that Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa was actually in a larger lineage. Hmm. He was already in a lineage that was much older than he was. And that it went at least back to 1860, as, as we can trace it. But when we do, we trace it right into the royal family. Some good lineage. <laughs> so, uh, in, in that way, uh, going back to that part about uh, the cowherd, and uh, the story of catching the mind in uh, an unwholesome state and then mm -hmm. watching it and moving <laughs> getting it back into a wholesome state mm. seems to be a teaching that, how to say it, is reserved for the nobles. Why do I say that? The answer, I think, has to do with the fact that this uh, process actually does take work. It is right effort. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That we have to take the effort to do it. And that I think that over time, what has happened is all throughout um, the Buddhist world, there, there has been a very, very small nut core of um, nobles mm -hmm. that stand basically at the core. And when I'm saying at the core, that these are often the most famous monks, they're often yeah. the most uh, um, uh, uh, seen to be noble by uh, the lay people anyway. Mm, yeah. yeah. Also very, very well connected with others who are like that. They're at the center. There is a center, and this would be what you would call the Sangha. Mm. There is a noble Sangha, then, in every Buddhist country that I know of, except in the West. We have to only say that's true in Asia, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have a noble Sangha of uh, those who recognize each other and are best friends with each other that were too interested in picky details about, oh, I'm better than you are because I teach this and you don't. <sighs> <laughs> Which is often the state that I fall right into happily. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. And so even in Tibet, you could see that the Dalai Lama was surrounded by and educated by nobles. Mm -hmm. And the connection that can be actually solid evidence is, is that uh, the Dalai Lama came to visit Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. 
Mm-hmm. Not just once and, and successful, but planned twice. And then by then he was a, a too well notable uh, figure to the Chinese government who put pressure on the Thai government to use him a visa to come when it was all Dhamma anyway. Mm. But um, this happened before my days at, at Watsuan Mok, but it, uh, the lingering part was is that there were uh, Tibetan monks who would come to stay with uh, at Watsuan Mok when they could get the visas for it. Yeah, when they could. And so this is that not just connection within Thailand, but the connection that actually exists kind of worldwide in this network of, of nobility that in mm. fact we saw it very very strongly in the United States the interconnection between the monks uh, the Thai the Lao the Cambodian monks those mm-hmm. especially worked closely together partly because the language was so uh, close but also because this was the major major population that there was one monk for some years in North Carolina from Burma. Okay. For more than 40 monks who befriended him and took care of him and helped him along and went to um, um, officiate it, uh, not officiate, but go along with the ceremonies for ordinations and all kinds of other stuff. Mm-hmm. That was, I was quite into that. But what I'm getting at is the reason why the Burmese I don't mention is because they're kind of rare. I would say there's probably only about 10. And they are very interconnected together, about 10 Burmese Watts in the United States. There's more than 200 Thai Watts. Oh, wow. That's a lot. And the Thai people in the United States know how to go shopping for monks. And if they're going to pay all of the religious affairs uh, and the plane tickets and get... Uh, senior seasoned monks to come over they're going to be really picky i know i've been on such an expedition <laughs> in ah. monk monk shopping <laughs> monk shopping <laughs> I they have strict monks criteria to come back he was a monk for 10 years and the group wouldn't wouldn't buy him they wouldn't take him oh i think it's because he wanted it too much right okay i don't yeah, he know. wanted it that part of the conversation was in Comair. <laughs> so anyway, this interconnectedness, mm-hmm. I think all basically boils down to the attitude that comes about through right effort. And that only a few put that in and the rest are putting in either too much effort or not enough effort. It's like a Goldilocks zone of effort. There is a Goldilocks zone, and that Goldilocks zone has a particular point to it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that particular point is is that one's right effort is to remove hindrances from the mind. Mm-hmm. That is period. I mean, that's it. And there are so many suttas that talk about that. A lot of sutras talk about it. In fact, the, uh, my favorite, 117, which is called the Great Forty, but is actually an expo on the Eightfold Noble Path. That's where it's specifically quote, quoted uh, right uh, effort in two ways. One is 
that right effort and right sati and right view run and circle around each other in the sense of um, the right uh, uh, effort is just to take on right view and to abandon wrong view. Mm-hmm. And effort is to take on right sati mm-hmm. and abandon being asleep. And so one's right effort then is to take on the effort to uh, uh, purify the mind to the sense of one's viewpoint, to start getting more noble view. They run and circle around each other. And mm-hmm. then the next part is when uh, we add the next ingredient of the Eightfold Noble Path, which is Sama Sankapa in Pali. That's been translated as right intention, right thought, and I translate it as right attitude based upon conversations with Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, though I don't think that that's been a direct, uh, and so it's often referred to as thought. But if you think about it like this, <laughs> thought and attitude are interrelated. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're very, very connected. They're really interrelated. Mm-hmm. We're talking about that thought, intention, and uh, attitude uh, framework is what mm-hmm. we mean by Sama Sankapa. So we can see then at that level that one's right effort is to have the right view that brings about then to throw out these hindrances, these wrong thoughts, mm-hmm. replace them with wholesome thoughts. This is what we've been talking about. That, and then we go to that other sutta and see the cow herd, and this is exactly <laughs> what the Buddha is talking about. We've got to get those thoughts in line, and this is the place where most of them fail. That's where most fail. So most mm. of them fail. Let's start with Mahasi's first. Okay. Mahasi method fails because they start the students noting immediately. Yeah. They don't say the first job is is to clean up and purify the mind. They just say to notice it. They just say to notice it. The same thing I see in Zen. And when I say Zen, I'm not talking about Japanese Zen. I'm talking about Western Zen. When I see Zen students on Reddit and hear uh, and read books and hear what they have to say, students who come from that, Mm -hmm. then say they talk about awareness and if you're aware of it it will dissolve the thought yeah, that, yeah yeah that that's 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 a big takeaway that i've had from this learning being introduced to meditation through mbsr um one of the things that they teach is noting but it is just a case of just notice it it'll dissolve but it doesn't always you know maybe sometimes it does but most of the time it just doesn't you just see it and you're just basically staring at whatever it is whatever unwholesomeness you're just like staring at it it doesn't go away you need to put in that effort to change it exactly so let us say as an analogy that this is some stray cat stray ruffled uh, (laughs) ruffled feral cat ruffled feral cat that comes (laughs) if you don't do anything about it it may stay if you notice it and take care of it and feed it it sure will stay Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all the time it may come in and out but it's going to stay if you keep feeding it yeah this is what that cat's not going to dissolve because you feed it 
<laughs> it's going to get bigger and stronger and more comfortable and yes. it'll be visiting you more and more often. Maybe you just fed it lunch, but now it comes earlier. Can I have breakfast as well? Can I have some <laughs> dinner, please? I'm glad you like the analogy. Well, I have heard this also from a teacher of uh, the Tibetan or Vajrayana in the sense of, in fact, the first thing that he and I straightened out was is that what he's teaching is very much like the Mahasi method of right. noticing or awareness or attention. This kind of thing is the first thing that they start the students to practice. Mm. This is normal then. I've seen it in the Zen, I've seen it in the Mahasi, I've seen it in the Vajrayana. This is what seems to have gotten the takeout. And I would claim that they took this ordinary Buddhism from ordinary teachers. Mm, not what? nobles. Not nobles, because the nobles will be the one, hey man, you've got to clean your mind. The hindrances, you've got to there. And so this is what then I think is the major reason why so many people will practice so long. And, and um, let us say, I've actually seen one post where a guy says, I've, I've, I've been meditating now for 10 years and I'm drawing in the towel and going to see a therapist. And boy, Reddit went wild with that one. <laughs> Even to the point of may you find a therapist that teaches meditation. <laughs> Yeah, I've got to say that's that's one of like the biggest or the most uh, striking revelations. It's just the the difference between just noting because that's something that was ingrained to me from the beginning, but it's not enough. You got to notice, and then you've got to take action. Exactly, exactly. That's like um, maybe I've, we've talked about this before. I'm not sure. But I often use the analogy of that the cows are off on the other side of the pasture and the farmer has got to go off to see the cows. Yeah. If he keeps his mind on the cows and watches where the cows are and uh, has the intention of reaching the cows one step at a time, when he gets to the cow, he's going to be covered in cow shit. <laughs> Farmers don't walk to their cows watching the cows, noting the cows, and keeping their eye on the destination. Mm. They're watching one step at a time, one foot at a time. Don't step in this cow pie. <laughs> and then don't step in that cow pie. Yeah. And that's a very interesting analogy because that, again, is the way that we handle our mind. Don't look at how the mind's going to be way off into the future. Mm. Just take those don't step in unwholesome cow pies right now. In this moment. <laughs> Don't step in the cow shit now and now, now, now and now and now. Not only does the cow have to keep the cows in line, he doesn't walk <laughs> Keep the cows in line. Don't step in the poo. Don't worry about the future cow poo. You know, deal with that cow poo when it comes. But at the moment, we're dealing with the cow poo now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay, so this is then uh, the part that is so important, and it has a twofold impact or a twofold part, mm. both of them having to do with noble right effort. Mm. Okay, one is um, what we were talking about of hitting the cow, 
which also uh, Mahasi himself agrees with Bhikkhu Buddhadasa when Mahasi will say to seize, confront, to jump on, or to fall upon the object. Mm. One of the things that we understand through Anapanasati is, is that there's actually quite a variety of objects that to, are to be noticed mm-hmm. or to take note of, or uh, what are the objects of meditation. The answer to that is, yes, well, we'll start with the breath, but when you get things going, that's not actually going to be the object of meditation. That, that in fact, the first thing that we have to do would be to take the note or the object of what's in the mind so that we can remove the hindrances Mm. and to get the body into the rotation or the habit of the noting of the in-breath and the out-breath so that this is also just a tiny little bit of it because what we're doing is is that we're gathering factors together these factors are actually the factors of the eightfold noble path they're also the factors of the first jhana and they are all on the uh, in the Anapanasati Sutta. So the Anapanasati and the um, Eightfold Noble Path and the first jhana work directly together. Mm. Everything that the Buddha taught was to get the student into the first jhana, mm-hmm. even if there is more to it than that. Because if they cannot get into the first jhana, then they're really going to get much of anything out of Buddhism mm-hmm. and the, the next point is is that if they cannot even purify the mind and get the mind free from unwholesome thoughts and get it only into the wholesome thoughts then they don't even have first jhana yet this is what led to I think many many years ago an ancient discussion between Vipassana and Samatha. Have you ever heard of that conflict or that? Um... I've never heard of that conflict before. No, no, okay. no, no. There are some who say that Samatha is the same as Jhana and Vipassana is Vipassana. In yeah. the sense that Vipassana is to be done outside of or before Jhana. And that they will use words like um, uh, access concentration. Mm-hmm. And they'll also use words like absorption or immersion when they're talking about jhana, rather than jhana should be left untranslated um, for several reasons. One is because it doesn't exist in our language, and therefore should not um, exist in a form of an English language word that means something completely different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They would use immersion like you were immersed in a book. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But being immersed in a book is very much like something, their house is burning down, but they're not paying attention. They don't smell the smoke because they're immersed in a book. <laughs> Anybody who would use the word immersion for John, again, means that he could have anything that they're waking them up it's not an immersion or going into some deep safe underwater under a cloud under the bubbles whatever you talk about is immersion that's not jhana mm. and for the same reason is true of absorption 
okay, absorbed in a book, and down the same rat hole we go. So <laughs> absorption and immersion are not words that we want to look at, but rather looking at from the perspective of the factors. And so the factors of the first jhana come absolutely without a doubt. It comes to um, the first thing that has to be done is freedom from hindrances. That's the first item on the list. That's the only item on the list. And that's the item on the list that will plague uh, meditators for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. It's the only issue for most of them, and they never get over it. Because mm. they were never taught that this was step one. What is step one? Is to take the un wholesome thoughts out of the mind because if you were in fact free from unwholesome thoughts then more than likely you're going to be free from negative feelings which is exactly where this is going yeah and if you have only wholesome thoughts in the mind thoughts of uh friendship loving kindness um everything is okay not a worry in the world no place to go nothing to do all the jobs that needed to be done have been well done and finished and there's nothing left but relaxation. Now, this is those kind of thoughts <laughs> are going to let you have uh, some feelings of to feel good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. This feeling good then is what is in the Pali referred to as sukha. And sukha is an item of jhana. Mm -hmm. It is an item of anapanasati. Yeah. That's one of the connecting points, not the only connecting point. In fact, it's kind of like this kind of connection. <laughs> one of those fingers is uh, sukha. Now, sukha is actually defined as the opposite of dukkha. We know that fairly sure. I know that some Pali scholars do argue with that, but I do know this because of a bit of research that it is, they are opposites in the Thai language because Thai has absorbed those two words as Duke and Suk. And Gujarati has also not just absorbed them, but Gujarati was, uh, uh, let us say, uh, the recent heir or ancestor to the Indo-European language, and so Duke and Sukha were part of this all along, except mm -hmm. they say it Duki and Suki. And when I heard I said, well, okay, that makes complete sense. We've got three languages that support that dukkha and sukha are opposites. Uh, opposites, yeah, yeah. As well as the way that the language is structured. Mm. Like activate and deactivate. So you can see that duke in front of the suk, and that's it, okay? And so what we mean by this, then, is when the mind is free from unwholesome thoughts, the mind is also free from dukkha at that moment. Mm. And if the mind is free from that dukkha, then any residual uh, body chemistry and dukkha that is still left, like anxiety, mm -hmm. uh, a tightness in the, in the belly, from uh, mm -hmm. I mean, all of these emotions have bodily feelings to them yeah, yeah 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 and when we stop having the mental thought process that creates these bodily feelings like oh no this laptop could die mm -hmm. oh no there goes the camera 
<laughs> now, how many heart attacks can that camera, dead camera, cause? Uh, okay. However Wait. many you want it to cause, however many you let it cause. Exactly, because it's all about it's not the camera that died, it was me who died. Yeah. I can't do, I can't use the camera. Oh, poor me. <laughs> I can't talk with my friend right now. Oh, poor me. Or I'll have to talk to him. He can't see me. Or, oh, poor me. I'll have to go across the room and get another camera. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's the whole idea then, is that all of those poor me feelings, all of that anxiety, everything is manufactured in our own mind through unwholesome thoughts. Mm, yeah. And so when we get ourselves out of the unwholesome thoughts, we've got some place to go now. Mm. But it's going to take some effort to whack them doggies and get them in line. But the answer is, once you've got them in line, now they are, in fact, not causing anxiety, mm -hmm. frustration, uh, or a, a, a sense of non-well-being. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that means then that over a short period of time, because the mind now is wholesome and it's not so I use the term sometimes jokingly is leaking the drunken. Every time we have a little thought about, oh no, that'll happen. And then it leaks a little drop of adrenaline. And then yeah. later, oh no, that can happen. And now a little bit of adrenaline will drop again. Okay. And so people mm up giving themselves five, 10, 20 drops of adrenaline every day that they just don't need. They don't need, they got nowhere to go, no races to run. Right. So there's no place, right. There's, there's no fight and there's mm. no fight. Mm. Nothing. Yeah. And so because of that, we're left in that primitive state at times when this mechanism that created fear was because mm. things were actually dangerous. Most of the time now, things are really not dangerous at all. Not really. But we feel like they're in danger because we're still operating from those primitive mechanisms of, uh, I think danger, therefore I feel danger. Yeah. And when I stop thinking danger, I stop eventually feeling danger. Yeah. Especially I'm taking some deep breaths and, and breathing out all the danger chemicals while I'm at the same time replacing them with uh, serotonin, oxycodone, um, dopamine. Uh, dopamine, that kind of stuff is what we're uh, bringing into the brain. Uh, and we can actually then feel these sensations of the body kind of going away. Mm. Sometimes we can actually sit there and experience the emptiness so that everything feels so nice. <laughs> it really does. It's like you, you look at, you walk into a room that's completely set up. Yeah. And the last time you walked into it, which seems to be just a moment ago, it was a complete wreck. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you walk in, wow, that looks really nice. So, <laughs> so we come in and we have that kind of feeling. Wow, everything is really nice right now, which is actually just more wholesome thoughts. Yeah. 
just more wholesome parts of all this is nice. This is so you good. notice the nice, and then you're like, whoa, this is nice, and then it's just more niceness, and it's just a just a nice a nice circle. Whoa, this is nice. Oh, it's so oh, it's it's so nice. Right. Woo! Exactly. Now, this is in fact part of uh, the things then that need to be noted. Mm-hmm. There is noting done. And in a sutta, in fact, I think it's 111 in the Majjhima Nikaya, where the Buddha is actually praising Sariputta to the highest. Mm-hmm. And he starts off by saying that Sariputta has sharp wisdom. He has penetrating wisdom. He has laughing wisdom. Oh. Oh, yes. There's a Okay. So Very that, nice. And then he says... Um, uh, that it only took Sariputta a fortnight to go through the process. Okay. We're talking about people doing 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and still not getting <laughs> the entrances out of their mind. And it here's took them a fortnight. And here Sariputta is going through uh, a fairly intense process in a short period of time. Well, we have uh Sariputta credit for the fact that he had already been a wandering mendicant just very much like the buddha probably experiencing doing the same things that the buddha was done mm-hmm. so in fact maybe the skills that Sariputta had to develop to get into these states he had already developed and what he got from the buddha was what to do when he got there mm-hmm. so you have to kind of understand it from that perspective but there's also the perspective that at this point, when it mentions that it only took him two weeks to do this, or fortnight, is when he's then the next words is quite secluded from sensual pleasures, quite secluded from unwholesome states, period. Okay? Period. Okay, that's it. Okay. Then it says he entered into and remained in first jhana with the other jhana factors, okay, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. in fact, that's where we get into sukha. Whenever have you been able to develop sukha with trash thoughts? And whenever do you develop sukha with good wholesome thoughts, generally? Mm-hmm. Well, okay, <laughs> and you related <laughs> there. So if we get our minds into a wholesome state, then these jhana factors follow along Mm. and one of the things that follows along is this kind of thing that's called applied and sustained thought that is a factor of the first jhana what Mm. does that actually mean that means that we can apply that uh, cowherd stick kachonga (laughs) and keep doing and keep doing it and keep Mm. doing it to keep the mind in wholesome state because it's going to naturally fall back out of that due to habit. It's yeah. only after a long time of work to where we can get it to where it's just one wholesome thought after another, after another, after another. And wow, is that an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. So know that this is what's happening. That, yeah. that Samak Sankapa really gets strong so that we know that we can clean out our mind at any time. Mm-hmm. This is what in Sutta number 48, the Buddha calls the very first knowledge that is noble, mm-hmm. super mundane, Taraloka in Pali, 
a factor of the path, part of the Eightfold Noble Path, and it's a knowledge that's not held by ordinary people. In other words, this is uh, the Buddha's um, version of one foot in the door. The first step into nobility is mm -hmm. to know that you can throw these hindrances out of the mind. That you've got complete confidence that you can do that. Confidence. Confidence that you lion's can, confidence. Mm -hmm, the lion's confidence that you can. Why? Because you've been good at it so far. You can do it again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So now we walk around with the confidence of not having those things in the mind, but when they do come to mind, we can say, "Yeah, I can handle that." And so here, as a teacher, I can say, "Yeah, okay." There are some things that we can begin to think about. In other words, mm -hmm. how to handle getting arrested and having handcuffs behind <laughs> I'm going to handle having a cop with his knee on my neck mm. okay how am I going to handle that and the answer to that from that noble perspective of the line I can handle that just fine I can give you such a beautiful death mm. give you a Shakespearean um, stage <laughs> a death I can <laughs> and I know how to die <laughs> mm. Okay, so this is the kind of way that we're looking. I can handle anything, even yeah. on death, even getting arrested, even going to solitary confinement. And then I say, wait a minute, solitary don't sound so bad after all. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of stuff you don't have to deal with if they put you in solitary confinement. That's very true, very true. You can just focus on your breathing, your, mm -hmm. your practice. And the fostering of wholesomeness, and yet you can just sit there and just relax. <laughs> worry themselves to death over it. Yeah, because a lot of people they cannot handle it. Right. So, this is the way that we look at that first noble step. That first mm -hmm. knowledge is that you know that you can handle it, but this actually takes quite a lot of practice. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that. Um, um, in this place where we have just stopped in the in the sutta, picking back up at that point, uh, while Sariputta is in the jhana, the Buddha mentions that it is for him to notice, number one, these jhana factors themselves, one by one. We have to know that we can and watch and observe and take note of that we can apply the mind to the wholesome and keep it there. And this great, brings great uh, joy and bliss, and it also brings on a kind of euphoria. Got this. I can see this stuff. That's the <laughs> part. Got it. Got it wired. Okay. Um, euphoria uh, directly involved with enthusiasm. Mm. Okay. So you can actually add that to the list, and we will. But we put the first jhana factors on the list. Then we put some other things on it. Now, the list itself is not in any particular order in this sutta, but you can see they fill into three groups. One is it fits into the group of all of the jhana factors, because you're in the first jhana with nothing left to do but to enjoy the first jhana list inspected quite well. <laughs> the two are aspects of the Eightfold Noble Path stated in fruition. Because we've already, by the time that we've got ourselves into applied and sustained thought, that means that we can actually maintain this first jhana. Mm. So we see then a re-investigation uh, uh, of right view, 
How's our sati? How's our mindfulness? That's always one of these. Any list that the Buddha makes is going to have sati on it. And this is oh, yeah. always, always. Have, how's my sati? How's, how's this going? What are my feelings? But we also are talking about feelings in general as well as most specifically the feelings of pity and sukha. Mm. Okay. Uh, and so when we start there, then we're starting into the third group which is items on the list of Paticca Samuppada, which also have to do with the five aggregates mm. in the sense of these are my feelings, this is what I do to get feelings, which is the contact and um, uh, the um, perception, okay? And we'll talk about um, Paticca Samuppada in depth at a later time, mm-hmm. but most talking about it from this concept of getting ourselves into a state so that we're ready to do some evaluation. Yeah. This is the things that we're actually going to evaluate. What is consciousness? What is perception? Mm. How do these things operate together without having to deal with the past? Because the past is going to almost always take us back into hindrances, back into the past, exactly. And so, yeah about perception we're talking about actually you can think of it like this how does a car actually rotate its tires when you've got it jacked up that it's not on the road mm-hmm. and in fact this is how you balance tires often when you see them dynamically balancing right you yeah, got yeah, yeah. Tire off the road and they but this is the way that we can see how then do we dynamically balance perception is that we've got to get it out of the trash. We've got to get it off the road. We've got to get it to where we can see it spin mm-hmm. on its own by itself. Okay, so this is why this is on the list. And we can do that because we've got the skills already in the first jhana. It's yeah. got it out of the sand car. We've got it out of the unwholesome thoughts. And so we can see how perception and consciousness and feelings and those things operate. But here's the thing that's quite amazing. And that is is that there are other items that are not on this list, that are on the list of Paticca Samuppada. Okay. Why are those things not on this list that the Buddha gives? Because we're free from hindrances, we don't go there. That's okay. So, in particular, Simon, look at it is from the point of uh, feeling. Once we gather up a feeling about something, those feelings of being liking, not liking, or confused. I'm not sure whether I like it or not. Mm-hmm. Liking it, if it's ignorance, will go to I like it, I want it. She's a girl. Mm-hmm is one way to say it, and then she's a beautiful girl. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the 1940s-style cartoons, but to make Yeah, yeah, I know the cartoons. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, so one is just, I appreciate she's nice. Yeah. They, she worked really hard. She spent, she got $10 worth of makeup on. Mm-hmm. Okay. And an hour or so, so we got to give her credit for it. She really dolled herself up, right? But I don't want it. I like it, but I don't want it. Why is that? Because it's wise. But if we're ignorant, she's beautiful. She's darn beautiful. I like her. I want her. I want her phone number. I got to think about her. 
Yeah. And then that hindrance starts back up, back up. And then I call her and then she uh, uh, tells me to go to hell. And I do. <laughs> yes, and then you yeah. beat yourself up and you're like, I'm not good enough, oh, for God's sake. Mm-hmm. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, I suck, I'm trash. Oh, am I ugly? Oh, my God. Yeah, yes. You beat yourself up and you go to hell. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Okay. Wanting things that we don't have winds us up in woeful states. And yes. that is then dukkha. So we now have done it. In fact, in Pali, it is Vedana starts at feelings. Vedana, Tanha, Upadana, Bhava, Jate, Dukkha. We have been now reborn into hell. And we are <laughs> suffering. Why? Because we didn't get something we wanted. Mm. Okay. But in First Jhana, backing back up to what are the things really worthy of noting, is not those kind of thoughts. Because we've already gotten the mind completely wholesome, we're only going mm-hmm. to get really wholesome things, and yeah. that's the Patita Samapada, it's just not in Buddha's list. Okay. Right. But other things are in that list is how also is your equanimity or your ability to handle things. And this is coming up important in the next part of our talk, mm-hmm. uh, the next few minutes. But so mm-hmm. some items on the list then that look for completion because we're beginning to do this. Okay. So basically what we're looking at is as we note these things, one by one, we note them as they occur. We can actually go looking for consciousness, and there it will be. We can look for perception, and there it will be. That is basically, it's not a particular order, but they do tend to show up on their own. Yeah, they show up. We can solicit them, and they can solicit us in the sense of grabbing your attention while you're in this happy state. Of everything is okay, okay, that we begin to say, hey, wait a minute, this is how the mind works. This is the way the brain operates. You know, we begin to see that, okay? And so uh, at this place, this is where the Buddha now not only gives Sariputta an actual list of things worth noting, including noting itself or paying attention, as well as sati and all of the other factors. How's your energy? How's your, uh, you know, How's your jhana? How's your Eightfold Noble Path? How's it progressing? Mm-hmm. And this is the kind of things that actually do exist in the mind, in the sense of your feelings, your perception, your consciousness, yeah. are things to be uh, investigated and noticed. And we notice them one by one as they occur, and we notice them as they arise, and then later we begin to as they pass away. Now, this is actually a direct reference back to Mahasi and to the in the Anapanasati Sutra. This is actually step 13 and step 14 and step 15 of Anapanasati. Mm-hmm. These wholesome things, mm-hmm. not the kinds of things that most meditators note. But yeah. To be in this state of jhana so that we can note these things as they arise, as a nietzsche, and then as they pass away, and as they die. Now, remember in going back to this idea of right effort in the first place? Okay, yeah. That means that we have to actually seize these objects also. 
not like we are just like we did to, to seize the breath you got to control it that means that we begin to take control over perception take control yeah. over consciousness take control over uh, feelings because we actually have already been doing that but we take control of them in the sense of watching them arise and pass away and pass away uh, and and when we do this this is when the buddha says that this is when Sariputta's confidence really grows in the sense that he says is that watching these things as they occur, I know that there's an end to this finally. What yeah. it doesn't bring to it, but there is an escape. And I guess he's talking about the escape from suffering completely. Yes, the escape from suffering. Yeah. And then it says that Sariputta, by practicing this over and over and over again, gained the confidence, which is one of the items that we're looking for. On the, <laughs> he gains the confidence that he can say that, and I know for sure that there is an end, to, there is an escape. There is, this, mm-hmm. this is the way. This is it. Yeah. Okay. And so basically what we have done now is we have moved from step number one, the first knowledge, uh, into knowing that we can get the hindrances out, into the actual investigation of the first jhana, which is then the second knowledge. Now into the third knowledge, where we absolutely know for sure that the Buddha has mapped out a way out of it. This is the escape. This is a system that works. Mm. But no one's going to have that kind of confidence in the practice until they begin to put in the right effort to get their mind free from the hindrances so that they can actually do the Buddhist practice of first jhana. <laughs> yeah. And yet very few meditators ever get themselves into the first jhana simply because they're not following the right instructions for it. They're uh, going about it wrong going about it in a two-step process, and they're doing it backwards. <laughs> You're not going to get there going backwards. you got to well, go forwards. <laughs> exactly. Got them, they got, what do they say, the, uh, the cart before the horse. Yeah. The noting first, rather than doing the purification. <clears throat> purification and then note. The wholesome, lovely things. Uh, exactly. And that's what we note then. What are we going to note of the things that are worth noting? <laughs> yeah, note, what, note what's worth noting, which is wholesome, relaxing, happy, loving thoughts, feelings. Exactly. So the, the, the point then is that um, these hindrances by noting are not going to dissolve. No, they're just, you're just going to see them there. They're just going to remain. Hi, I'm still or, here. Or they'll get stronger. Or they'll get stronger, yeah. Because you're actually giving them the weight. You're, actually, you're, giving, them, you're giving them energy. You're paying them attention. So it gives them a chance to proliferate and become more, more intense, more of them. You name it. Mm-hmm. So once we get into the habit of thinking about things that go wrong, if you're getting good at that, you can find a whole lot that can go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A self, self-fulfilling self prophecy, almost. It really is. And so, yeah. uh, this, but it works the other direction, too. It's like um, a positive feedback that mm. once you've gotten into the first jhana, the other jhanas are actually quite easy. 
They just fall into place. Well, actually, the other way around is is that your items that we've just given you, now items start falling off the list. Ah. Easier. (laughs) (laughs) You've got less things things to try and concern yourself with, so the... So it just becomes easier. The effort that you put in, it becomes more, more natural, more effortless. And so then the second jhana is going to be the natural progression after this first jhana. That, mm-hmm. in fact, without any jhana at all, can put space between their thoughts. Everybody can do that. We do it often a lot. In fact, that's one of the reasons to go on vacation, to get it off your mind, literally. And then we'll go and we'll see a vista, maybe a, um, a sunset over the ocean or a uh, canyon or something like that. And there is so much input that comes in, the mind literally stops thinking about it. Yeah. For many people, for others, will be getting their cell phones saying, wow, this is so nice, I want to take a photo. And now oh, my goodness. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, this is so nice. <laughs> <laughs> And there comes a hindrance, and they're not even getting that wow experience of having their mind completely stop long enough to absolutely absorb reality. Okay. So now we're talking about what will happen then when we go from a wholesome thought to wholesome thought to wholesome thought to wholesome thought. We begin to put some gaps in it. This is when the cowherd can sit down under the tree and relax. He doesn't have to stand with the cows anymore because he knows there they are grazing. He knows that the cows are perfectly happy with what they're doing and they're going to keep doing it. And so that applied and sustained thought becomes more skilled in the sense that now we're just applying it to nothing at all and sustaining that. And this is where the euphoria really gets going. Oh. Really, really big time. <laughs> uh, but that euphoria also has energy to it, or it takes effort. And so, yeah. actually, the next stage then is the third, John, is to let all of that euphoria melt away into just a really nice state of bliss. Mm. Okay. And as we do this, now we're removing pity. Third layer, we uh, uh, um, let us say the first from the second from the first to the second, we eliminated the thoughts, mm-hmm. all of them, even the wholesome ones. In the second jhana to the third, we're now eliminating uh, uh, euphoria and got this wired to kind of really goosebumpy feelings kind of thing. Wow, this is so nice. The really wow feelings that we have yeah. melt away into just complete satisfaction where there's nothing left but just the sukha of everything is okay. Everything is fine. <laughs> and then moving into the fourth jhana, we even allow that. And so now it's talking about just equanimity and having the feelings now are really neutral. Even the pizzazz of the joy is just... Mm-hmm. Easy, easy, easy peasy. At this point, that's when things like the body, sensations, mm-hmm. as if the body is really large. Okay. Sense of the feeling of, of, of gravity. We feel like that we're floating, that things are so easy now. <laughs> Whoa. This is part of the thing um, that is uh, the develop. There is a hand mudra. And the hand mudras called touch the earth. Touch the earth. Mm-hmm. 
And the reason for it is, is that in the fourth jhana, the hand is going to be resting on the knee. Mm -hmm. Then the meditator can touch the earth with the tip of his um, middle finger just just to make sure that he's still on the ground. (laughs) To make sure he hasn't floated away. (laughs) Even though he's floating away, he doesn't have to open his eyes even. He just touches the ground. Just to to bring him back to uh, the reality because the body gets very, very ephemeral. This is also, at that point, is when Anapanasati is now irrelevant because your breathing is so long and done so very naturally that it's no longer um, part of an issue. It's almost indetectable. At this stage, if the doctor came up and wondered if you're dead or not, he'd hold a mirror under your nose and declare you dead. <laughs> because there's not enough air in the outbreath to cause moisture on the blast. <laughs> Everything yeah. is easy at this point. By the way, if you're in that state of force, John, I come back out of it if the doctor comes. <laughs> Don't want them to declare you medically dead and then try and cart you away. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's in for a surprise. Maybe I might <laughs> come up until after the, during the funeral when everybody's gathered together, dearly beloved. We are gathered here and hi, folks. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I've been playing poop on you guys. <laughs> you already promoted my will. <laughs> oh. So, yes, these states are very, very subtle, but then is when we can get down, because we can get the feelings so relaxed, Mm. we can actually begin to watch the mind work. Really. And a way that I would talk about it is that you can do this in first jhana. That is what Sariputta, the Buddha, says, that you can actually see perceptions in that, but in the fourth jhana, it's really like they kind of slap you. It's like that's nothing left it's just, just watch the way that the mind is working yeah and so we can detach it or we can make a separation between consciousness and perception mm-hmm. so that we can just say perception that's that wow feeling by the way when it's full-blown is that we're nothing but on input we throw out all of the data we don't process we don't store we don't do anything with the data we just sit here and receive data mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's expansive there is so much happening when we're paying attention to what's happening. Yeah, there's a lot to take in. Sounds, smells, feelings, mm-hmm. objects. Everything. Everything. And it's yeah. just it all coming in um, in, a, in a kind of boundless way. Mm. Uh, we do not need to have those experiences to, to know that they're there because we've already had those experiences already just in a lesser degree then so there's a difference between having a spoonful of a particular food and have a whole kitchen staff preparing 20 dishes of it for you <laughs> need already so this um but this is when we when they have those um abilities and they're not really that hard to to go to i would say in in fact that when someone can do the first genre very well and apply and sustain it they can pass in and out of the other genres in and out almost freely 
Wow, okay, okay. Because all the work is done. Mm. One of the examples that I've heard, in fact, it was a uh, musical instrument in Thailand, so I'll change it to a violin. Mm -hmm. If you're going to play one note on a violin, you got to have one string. Yeah. And a violin. <laughs> okay, and the violin is all the work of the first John is getting that violin made. Okay, all of that wholesomeness that you're putting together, the neck and the stick and the uh, body and the bridge and the neural and all of that kind of stuff. So you get a string on there, and that string can actually play any note. But when we develop the other genres, that's like adding an extra uh, string so that you mm -hmm. have a second string, a third string, and a fourth string. And now you can do so much more with that violin once you've got those strings. But you can play all the music you need to play on one string. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can still make beautiful sounds with a single string on a violin. This is why the Buddha has said, and specifically means it, that the first jhana is the path to enlightenment. If you mm -hmm. use the first jhana correctly so that you're observing the wholesome things that are there one by one as they occur and remain in that, you're mm -hmm. probably going to be passing in and out as you start noticing them and hone in on one of them. You're going to go into the jhana factor that's associated with that item. And so as you're paying attention to the first jhana's items, then you're going to be in first jhana. And when you let those go and start expecting the other items, those, will, uh, the first jhana items will kind of melt away on their own and you'll go into uh, investigating the other uh, items on that list. Yeah. And it really is interesting to just to sit there with nothing to do and no place to go and not a thought in your head watching how the mind actually perceives. Mm. Mm. So that you know that you have that kind of um, relationship, that this is yeah. what's really going on. There's no me in there. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The me comes no, no up, self. Right. The me that comes up, comes up through the unwholesome path. And when, yeah. there's, when, there's, when there's something unwholesome, that's when we get selfish. And when everything yeah. is some, there's, there's no self there. Mm, mm, mm. And so this is why through going through this process, one automatically begins to see, wait a minute, all that unwholesome stuff is a hindrance. And almost all of that unwholesome stuff came from the world. I learned all of that. This is when we understand Sila Bhatta Paramasa is all that unwholesome stuff can be put aside. I can have a new rule now, and that rule is Dukkha, Dukkha, Naroda. That's the only rule I need. I don't need 20 different rules or 20,000 or... Do you know that the, I have heard the IRS has um, their rule book is 80,000 pages long. <laughs> That's so unnecessary. <laughs> Well, they're trying to be fair, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure they are. Sure. <laughs> that's massive. Well, that's how many rules there are. I, how many rules do you have in your mind? Too many. <laughs> Too many, yeah. Yeah. Not 80,000, though. 
Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, 8,000. Like, oh, that's just unnecessary. Well. But, you know, I'm sure there's many unnecessary rules in yeah, many people's minds. That's the whole point. Mm. Is rules are only necessary for the moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When it's there, that rule in this moment will help define Dukkha so that we can eliminate it, see the danger. Yeah. Okay. That's the only reason for rules. And yet, how many rules are there? How many rules are there in existence for humanity? Loads. Loads and loads and loads. Too many. Mm-hmm. And the Buddha knew that. That's why he says, hey, guys, all of the really minor rules and all of that, the really heavy stuff you'd want to keep because that helps keep the Sangha together. Yeah. But the lightweight stuff, you don't need that. And then it was actually in the second council where there was almost, um, well, basically what happened is, is that they could not come to an agreement on which rules to abolish. Right. Okay, and I guess there was a whole lot of people who were having an advantage here and there on keeping rule, and so they couldn't agree on any rule to get rid of. <sighs> they couldn't get a quorum for 100% of whoever number of bunks were for any particular rule, and so they just decided to keep them all. But in the process of that was when the Venia was really, really codified. Mm-hmm. This happened um, between about a, a 80 and 100 years after the time of the Buddha. Okay. okay. And then the third council was at the time of the Sok, which was about 240, 250 BC, sometime in that time period. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a talk for another day. Meanwhile, back to these jhana factors. Mm-hmm. Each time that we go, regardless of how high end of the jhana, we want to actually seize the object, investigate it, take control of it, one by one as they occur, to watch these things as they arise and then flitter away. In fact, you could go so far as to say you're choking it to death by grabbing it. You want that thing to die. <laughs> what? Okay, well, sometimes we actually know what they are. In fact, at one point, we actually want to kill these feelings. Let them die. Yeah. Cessation of feelings. Cessation of uh, perception. Down to the point that there's nothing left. Yeah. Okay, so this is the way that it can be practiced. But there's no need to go down to that level because Mm -hmm. we can see it. Well enough. And in fact, what you could say is the higher jhanas are nothing more than a more sophisticated well, a way of taking control, seizing that object, and squeezing it to death. It's a One good way time. to think of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that how, that's the way of thinking about it. And the first one that we do after we get the first jhana is what we do is we squeeze the thoughts out. Mm-hmm. Then we squeeze out the euphoria. Then we squeeze out the bliss. And then it's just equanimity, calm, equity. Oh, oh. Oh, you're back. 
Yes, you're back. Hello. <laughs> All right. So, um, this is a way that we can understand that this is an active meditation. Mm-hmm. This is not passive. This is not um, noting. Okay. This is this is <laughs> if you want to think about it. This is a witch hunt. <laughs> witch hunt. <laughs> It's very, very active. You are actively it's, involved. Yeah. And you're actively trying to do something. You're not just passively noting or anything. You're actually taking action and trying to accomplish a little something, something. Mm-hmm. Or a, a big something, something. Okay. Now, the other methods that we have discussed where we're not actively taking control when we can say, first off, we're not even actively purifying the mind down to being removing all of the hindrances. We're also just just noting. Mm. But like a psycho, uh, and I would imagine that many uh, psychotherapists who are teaching meditation mm-hmm. are doing it so that the students then can see what's going on, but they're not really pointing it out so much for them. Yeah. But the idea is, is that if someone can see the dukkha, then they will find their own escape from it. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll recognize what their individual dukkha is, because mm-hmm. everyone will have a slightly different dukkha. Um, and then by understanding what their dukkha is, they can, like you say, plan their best route to escape it. But they have to know that they can do that. Yes, yes, and they need they, that confidence. And if they knew that they could do that right from the very beginning, they wouldn't have this very, very, very slow buildup of finally seeing the dukkha and then finally deciding that maybe I can find a way out of it. Oh, poor me. Lots of maybes and lots of mm-hmm. wallowing and self-pity. <laughs> and a lot of um, wrong attitude. Yeah. Yeah, very wrong attitude. Which, in, in fact, you could say that the noting method is almost a loser's practice or a victim's practice. Because if you note it well, then it will dissolve on its own, kind mm-hmm. of. Okay, so you can see that the victim is not capable of grabbing that object and throwing it out of his mind. All he has to do is kind of watch it and hope that it dies out. Yeah, 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 yeah. They just sit there and watch it, and they're just like, oh, maybe it will go. I hope it does. Please, please. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, noting it and then actively chucking it out. Chucking it it out. I don't want to see you again. Get out of (laughs) here. And then it comes back, and you're like, oh, you're back? You want some more? Get out of (laughs) here. Yes, that's actually the right attitude right from the very beginning is is that we're the ones here. You're the emperor of your own pile of dirt. Let's 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 dig our way out of it fast. We're the bar manager. You're mm-hmm. causing trouble. Get out of here. Kick mm-hmm. them out. This Boot them what? out onto the street. Don't come back. And then somebody else starts acting up, gets a little bit too drunk, and you're like, oh no 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 no, you ain't staying here. Boom, get out of here. You're, you're reading my mind. <laughs> That's actually a very good analogy, the bouncer. 
Yeah, yeah, like a bouncer or a pub manager or something, you know. You gotta make sure, you know, not nobody's too drunk, everyone's having a good time, and then somebody starts acting up, getting a little bit violent, boom, get out of here. Right, but the bouncer spends most of his time at the door. Yeah. Because he's not gonna let those stuff in. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just, it's like a bouncer, literally. You're nice, you come in, you're nice, you come in, hold on, hold on. You're acting a bit nefarious. Boom, get out of here. Exactly. And this is the part... A very good analogy. This is the part that's not taught in meditation. There yeah, are, it's there not. Are a, that's what's really frustrated me. Who <laughs> lets everybody in. Because mm. they're not taking the right effort to throw them out. Yeah. Not even doing the investigation. Who are you and what do you want here? Check their ID, you know, maybe facial recognition. Oh, hold on, you're wanted for several crimes. <laughs> you've robbed a bank recently. <laughs> that, yeah, that be, being, you know, MBSR at first, but now talking to you, it just it makes a hell of a lot more sense. And it's just frustrating that it wasn't um, taught at the very beginning. <laughs> You know, considering it's so key and integral to practice, it's just like, oh, well, you know, you left out, I don't know, the very, very strong foundation and base of it all. Exactly. So I'm glad that you can understand that. Go check that sutta out, number 111. 111. Because it's got a long list. I think it's like three lines of word, 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 word. <laughs> and they're all awesome. Every one of them. And you can pick out and say, yeah, I know where the Buddha put that, why he put that word on this list. Because mm. they're all there, all the key ingredients. Yeah. All the key ingredients mm. to make a beautiful, tasty cake. <laughs> <laughs> But no, it, it, it through your explanations and whatnot, it does make a hell of a lot more sense. If you're just going to notice something which is which is a crap feeling or a crap thought, you're not proactively trying to change it. So it's just going to keep coming back and back and back and back and back. You need to boot it out and tell it it's not welcome here. Mm-hmm. And, and that- over time, you get more confident. And then with more confidence, you know... We change your Exactly. You become more confident. You're like, I can deal with this stuff. It's all good. And then something arises and you're immediately just like, boom, get out of here. Handle that too. Yeah, and everything's okay. Not a problem. What, a laptop dies? Okay, all right. We know what to do about that too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Ben, this has been a marvelous talk. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, so did I. So did I. It was uh, very, very entertaining, very useful. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, you go first, Johnny, yourself a bit. <laughs> I will. I will. I will go. I will get into it. Yes, yes. Thank you very much for today. And uh, I will speak to you again soon. Okay. See Take you. care. Bye-bye. <laughs>